0: Well, good morning, Grace Point. How are we doing? We ready for Thanksgiving coming up? Yeah, okay. Uh, I did this with our students. My name is Devin. I am with our student ministry, and I'm one of our pastors here. And I did this with our students, but I wanted to do it with you guys as well, because Thanksgiving's right around the corner. It's coming up Thursday. And I want us all to yell out, yes, all at one time, welcome to student ministry, All at one time, what your favorite Thanksgiving dish is, okay? I'm going to count to three. I'm going to give you a little bit of time to think about it, process things, if you're a slow processor like myself. And on the count of three, I just want you to yell it. And before we get into this, I'm just going to tell y'all, if you don't yell, I'm going to make you do it again. So you might as well give it all you got the first time, okay? Okay? Okay, perfect. Here we go. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. One, two, three. Okay, awesome. I heard all kinds of different things there. Uh, if you said mashed potatoes, you're with me uh, and my family. Well, maybe not my family, but me individually. Mashed potatoes, one of my favorite parts. Uh, awesome. I'm so excited for this morning. We get the opportunity to wrap up our series uh, called Messy Jesus And together today, we are going to look at the longest conversation recorded between Jesus and another individual. So really cool look into kind of who Jesus was and how he met individuals where they were at. And so for us today... It may not seem like a real shocking story, but there are a ton of details in our story that help us understand the cultural dynamics, the cultural barriers that Jesus begins to break down through one seemingly normal conversation, Uh, And so we're going to be in John chapter 4 today, so if you brought your Bibles, go ahead and turn to John chapter 4, and we're going to stay there in our entire time this morning because it's one incredibly good story that you just can't pick and choose some of it. You've just got to try and go through the whole thing together. So we're going to do that. We're going to go through a narrative story time with Jesus and get a little glimpse as to who Jesus was. So open up your Bibles. John, it's in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. And so uh, hopefully you can find it. If you don't know where John is, just turn to the beginning of your Bible. There's a New Testament there. Uh, I mean, a table of contents there. It'll tell you the page number on your Bible that John is in. If you don't have a Bible, please let someone know. We would love to get you a Bible today. So John chapter 4, Verse 1, let's dive in together. Would you pray with me as we open up God's word? Father, Lord, as we open this story together today, would you speak to us through your word? Open up our eyes and our ears to your Holy Spirit today, and would you fill us with your truth and your truth alone? God, I ask that you would use my words as finite and futile as they are to bring you glory. In Jesus' name we pray. And we all said together, amen. Awesome. Well, let's read verse 1 together. Uh, not out loud. I'm going to read it. Uh, now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Verse 4. Now, he had to go through Samaria. Now, this is a really in- We're going to pause here. This is a really interesting verse. It's a really important first detail in this passage of scripture. This had to is not a statement of geographical necessity, right? Like this isn't GPS, you've got to go through Samaria. Uh, in fact, most Jewish people and Samaritan people, they completely avoided each other. Maybe you know that history, maybe you don't, but they avoided each other so much so that most Jewish travelers would end up doubling their time of their trip by avoiding Samaria altogether. They're like, I'm not going through Samaria. And so John adding this detail is incredibly important because to the Jewish listener, this would have been like, wait, what? He definitely doesn't have to go through Samaria. In fact, he should not go through Samaria at all. Like, don't go through Samaria, Jesus, And we're going to see why in a little bit that he had to go through Samaria. But we need to keep our minds focused on the fact that this is a theological statement. At the very beginning, we're getting this theological statement. He had to go to Samaria. Verse 5. So he came to a town in Samaria called Situr, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus... Tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. Verse 7. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with The Samaritans. Okay, so pause here again. Again, John makes us aware that these two people groups, they hated each other. They could not stand each other. So much so that the Jews, like we said, usually avoided this town altogether. These people were so divided. They did not associate at all, as John adds in like little parentheses there. Did not associate at all. It was like this known thing. Hey, stay away from those people, right? Maybe that sounds familiar. Maybe you've had a thought like that. Maybe you've had someone think similarly towards you. I don't know. But if anything, it's just a subtle reminder that divisiveness, division, it is not a new thing. It feels like it sometimes in the world that we live in right now, but it is not a new thing. Tribalism has been around for centuries and centuries, and Jesus is always here to break through those barriers. So, But here we find some really uh, interesting details, some really odd things going on in our story. It's somewhere around noon that John teaches us. It seems like just a casual detail, right? Like, okay, yeah, about noon, sure. But this is incredibly important. A bit of cultural history here. Uh, The normal time for a woman to get her water from the well would have been when it was much, much, much cooler, like first thing in the morning, and it was a part of the kind of cultural tradition to go together as a group. And so the women would get up early in the morning all together. They'd go to the well all together. They'd gather their water all together, and then they'd head back all together. This was a community thing. And yet here she is, intentionally going to this well at a time which was the hottest part of the day. She was completely alone. We don't know why yet, but it's something that as, our, as the reader of this story, as the listener of this story, our mind should start to be thinking, okay, what in the world is going on here? Why is this woman all alone? Why is she coming to a well alone in the middle of the day? This doesn't really make A ton of sense. So she's traveling alone to this well and then bam, Jesus is there. Not like bam, Jesus just appears out of nowhere, but like he's there at the well. Jesus is there, this Jewish man. Jewish people, again, didn't want to associate with Samaritan people already. And now we've got yet another barrier here. Jewish men certainly did not talk to Samaritan woman, especially if they were both alone. This was like way a no, no. This was against all cultural norms. This is a wild story. The disciples have already left. They've gone into the city to get food. The Samaritan woman is alone and it's just Jesus and this woman at the well alone, which gives us this tension, right? Into this strange conversation. so I like to imagine myself in biblical characters uh, as I read through it. And so just imagine with me, she's kind of walking up to the well, she sees Jesus sitting there and she's like, oh man, I was just trying to get my water, be alone and go home. Like here's another person who is going to tell me uh, just how terrible I am. And we're going to get to that here in a little bit, but then maybe she gets a little closer, right? And she gets a little closer to the well, and maybe she becomes a little relieved because she knows, oh, okay, well, at least this is a Jewish man. It's going to be awkward for sure, but at least I'm not going to have to talk with him. It's just going to be this, I'm going to get my water. I'm going to go home. He's not going to talk to me. I'm not going to talk to him, right? Wrong. That's not what happens at all. So she gets to the well, and Jesus initiates a conversation with her. And now in our modern day society, this seems pretty normal, right? This is completely abnormal. Right at the very beginning of this story, we see Jesus leading with his grace, stepping into a conversation with full grace. Jesus is breaking all kinds of cultural taboos. The people in his day, who would have been focused on truth alone. Like they would have leaned really hard into the truth side of things. They would have been listening to the story and they would have been outraged, right? Like Jesus cannot talk to this woman alone. He can't do that. He not only spoke to a woman in public, but also spoke to a Samaritan woman of all people. And he initiates the conversation. And right at the beginning, I want you to understand this. Jesus never misses the opportunity to meet and speak to an individual where they are at. Jesus leads in his perfect grace. He never misses the opportunity to speak to an individual where they are at. And I hope that's encouraging for us today. No matter where you are, Jesus wants to meet you right there in that place. He doesn't expect any kind of, I've got to clean myself up. He doesn't expect any kind of making these excuses, even though that's what happens later in our story. But Jesus leads in his perfect grace. So let's go back to our story. Verse 9. So the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that was asking you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. It's a very strange statement. Eleven. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is quite deep. Where are you going to get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? And this is where scripture gets really comical, right? Like, Jesus is sitting at a well. He has no rope. He has no pail. And he says, hey, if you knew who I was, you would have asked me for a drink the Samaritan woman is like, what are you talking about, man? You don't have anything to get water. Where are you going to get water from? So back to our story, verse 13. Jesus continues to add this kind of weird double meaning. What is he talking about sort of thing? Classic Jesus. Verse 13, Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst again. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up into eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't have to get thirsty and I won't have to keep coming here to draw water. So here we have this back and forth exchange. Jesus is trying to take her a little bit deeper, and she, of course, is focused on the physical need, water, right? You can see it in her response, right? Like, oh, yes, how convenient that would be. Give me that running water so then I don't have to make the journey and the heat of the day anymore. That would be so much easier. Please, where can I find this water? Well, sorry, no pun intended there. Well, water, sorry, dad joke, but I'm, (laughs) it's the cold medicine maybe, I don't know, but Jesus isn't talking about the well, right, Jesus isn't talking about physical water, N.T. Wright puts it this way, he says, the clue is found in the phrase living water, so that phrase there, living water, That's the regular phrase people used in Jesus's world for what we call running water, which makes a little bit more sense as to why this woman is not understanding at all. Because like as we read through it now today, if you know the type of water that Jesus is talking about spiritual life, we read it and we're like, man, why won't this lady understand? But it makes sense because he's talking, he's using this word and it's this double meaning running water, this water is the type of water that's in a stream or a river rather than a pool or a well. It's more likely to be fresh, to be clean than water that's been standing around all day, getting stagnant. But here, the double meeting kicks into operation because, of course, Jesus isn't referring to physical water, right? Right? whether still or moving, that's not what Jesus is about. He's referring to this new spiritual life that he is going to bring and is in the process of bringing to anyone. And that's why he's comparing it to running water It's this double meaning that Jesus is so masterful with, that he knows that unlike the many wells that we will run to, unlike the many pools that are stagnant and dry that we will constantly run back to, the water he provides will never be stagnant. John says it will be a brook bubbling up inside of all of those who receive it, eternal life. But again... She is not catching what he's putting down, so to speak, right? Like, she is not there at all. She is back on physical water. So let's continue. Verse 15. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. 16. He told her, go call your husband and come back. This is a weird statement, Jesus. Verse 17. I have no husband. She replied, okay, this is getting a little awkward. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Uh Uh-oh. Like busted. I remember I read this to a room full of students one time and everyone just gasped. Like, they were like, you're right, the, the, the man that you have right now is not your husband, you've had five and everyone's like, (gasps) right, like, uh oh, this is no. Right. And right here, we get the secret that we've kind of been wondering about what in the world is going on with and inside this woman. We're about to see what Jesus has known all along, the secret of why this woman has become so isolated, so alone, so hung out to dry by the community around her because she is what they would refer to as a scandalous woman a scandalous woman that men have simply used up and spit out and moved on to the next and she has maybe done the same thing. We don't really know much about the history here, but I can assume that one, that this woman has had a life composed of emotional upheaval after another, one by one by one, husbands coming and going enough to keep all the gossip tabloids in the community full, right? She trapped in this sexual brokenness. Maybe it's addiction, maybe it's emotional. I don't I don't know. We don't know that much of the story, but we know that she appears trapped in isolation because of the brokenness. And this is where maybe those of us who lean really hard into the grace side of things, we get a little uncomfortable, right? Like Okay, uh, let's change that subject. We don't want to jump into that conversation. Let's just bring it back to physical water, right? Like, my bad, you do you, I'll do me. Hey, it was so nice to meet you at the well. I'll see you later, right? Like, that's kind of how I, when I read through this story, I'm like, man, I don't want to talk about that, right? But not the truth of Jesus Christ. Not the truth of Jesus. Jesus always again walks in this perfect balance of grace and truth married together. This balance. Because Jesus knows that grace is left undone if you do not get to the root with truth. Grace is purposeless if you do not get to what causes the need for the grace, right? And so Jesus doesn't avoid this topic of conversation that is really awkward, that clearly has brought this woman shame. No, he dives right into it with grace and compassion because Jesus saw into the heart of what was going on. Jesus knew that she knows that her life was a mess. And now he's revealing to her that he knows that as well. And yet still he had the conversation. See, often when I read through this story, we don't understand the implication of what Jesus had done. As soon as Jesus reveals to her that, hey, why don't you go get your husband? As soon as he reveals to her that he knows about the sexual history, the sexual trauma, the past, as soon as he reveals that to her and still jumps into a conversation with her, she would have been amazed, right? she has been like, man, someone is still talking to me despite my history. So I love to travel. I love to learn about new cultures and experiences. My wife and I, we love to travel, but one thing that I hate about traveling uh, is when or even just in general, it doesn't have to be when we're traveling, but when I meet someone brand new, And inevitably, the conversation comes up, oh, so what do you do? And then I reveal to them that, oh, yeah, I'm a pastor. It is the quickest way to completely change a conversation, to completely shut it down. You just begin to watch in their eyes like, oh, gosh, how do I get out of this conversation? I got to get out of here immediately, okay? I'm a pastor, Quickest way to shut down the conversation. I can hear the voices now through various conversations. Oh, you're a pastor. Okay. Yeah, I used to go to church. And then, you know, my aunt said we should go with her to her church. And then my mom didn't really like the wife of that pastor. And so then we left. And, you know, we just never really got connected. Or, you know, uh, we, I was brought up, you know, as a, as this denomination, but then my sister and I used to go to that denomination growing up, and, uh, then we moved away, and, oh, you know, well, we just never got connected. Y'all, the amount of times that as pastors we hear, you know, we just never got connected, is like, whew. But here's what I love about this story because we see the same type of language. It's a little bit different, but the same type of language way back here with Jesus. This is what we see with the woman at the well. Jesus in his perfect grace and truth has exposed some sin and shame in her life. He presses into it instead of walking away from it. And so what does she do? The spotlight is now on her sin and so she's like, I've got to get it off of that. And instead she tries to focus on the thing that we so often try to focus on when we try to distract from our sin and that is religion. Verse 19. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Oh, you're a pastor. Verse 20. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim to worship, that we must worship on that place in Jerusalem. And at first it's like this weird statement. All of my life I grew up reading this passage. like, what is she talking about? But then you get into the history here and we begin to understand that she's she's saying, Hey, you've been taught to worship at that mountain. I've been taught to worship at this mountain. Hey, maybe none of us really know. Right, you, you keep worshiping on that mountain. I'll keep worshiping on this mountain because we don't really know what's true. We don't know what's true. Maybe no one's right. Maybe you're right, but maybe I'm right. We don't really know. But Jesus again sees to the root of it all and he knows that though it's an attempt to distract with religion, what really is at the heart of her soul in this moment is saying, I don't know where to find God. I don't know where I'm supposed to find God. Is it on this mountain or is it on that mountain? I don't know. And she's met with the grace of Jesus that initiated this conversation about living water, which at first she was interested in, right? Like, hey, I've got this living water. Hey, why don't you give that to me? But then she's met with the perfect truth of the prophet of Jesus in her mind, not realizing that if you want to take Jesus up on his offer of running water, pure water that bubbles up inside of you. You have to get rid of the stale, moldy, stagnant well water that you've been living off of this entire time. Verse 21. Dear woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know, We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. We're going to pause right here. We don't have enough time to really unpack this statement, but Jesus is beginning to make more and more theological statements that the Messiah is going to be someone who is from the Jews out of Jewish descent. And so that's kind of what he's hinting at here. Verse 23, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worship the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. Like, what is going on here? Well, Jesus begins to clue her in on something remarkable here. Something that even the disciples don't know yet, right? This idea that the true and living God isn't contained geographically or architecturally. No, it's as though now the author himself has stepped into the play, has stepped into the leading role, has stepped into the main character of the book. But all of this is way too much for the woman, right? And who can blame her? Like it's way too much for me. Imagine if I was sitting at a well talking to a stranger and they start telling me all this stuff about a Messiah. I would have been like, what are you talking about? So Jesus is talking about water. And at this moment, now he's basically, or she's basically trying to drink from a fire hose at this point. Like here's all of this historical prophetic knowledge that Jesus is just like explaining to her. She's like, whoa, 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 stranger. I did not want to get into all of this. And so she tries a different tactic. How do I get out of this conversation? Verse 25, the woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. I love this verse because the irony of looking at the Messiah face to face and say, hey, one day the Messiah is going to come, right? Again, she kind of uses this as like, I've got to get out of this conversation. One day the Messiah will come and like he'll explain everything to us. Let's just wait till then, crazy man. The irony of this conversation. And then Jesus again, in his perfect grace and truth, looks this woman in the eye and declares, verse 26, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. I get goosebumps every time. It's like, this is an incredible biblical story and we need to stop here because if you're like me, you're reading this story all your life and you're like, why can't this woman understand what's going on? That's not at all how we should read it. This is an incredible thing being revealed right now through Jesus. Jesus meets this woman with grace and with truth. First, he meets her with grace. He knows that she has this terrible sexual history, yet he talks with her anyway. He breaks down those barriers. He knows that she's a Samaritan, yet he asks her for a drink. It breaks down all types of cultural barriers, helps her to see the value of her life, and then reveals to her the greatest truth of all time, that I am the Messiah. The one you speak to right now, I am he. And this is what Jesus says. Do you understand the implications of what's going on in this conversation? For the very first time, to the very first person, Jesus reveals his truest identity. Jesus reveals who he really is, that he is God in flesh, the Messiah himself. He is not just some good teacher of the law. He is not just some prophet, but he is God stepped into the story to redeem all things. And he reveals that for the very first time to someone with a past so jumbled up and so broken and so messed up. The people who focus only on truth would have said, Jesus should have never had that conversation. Do you see the implications of what is going on here? I love how he does it in the most unassuming way too. Like, that's me. That's me. The Samaritan woman came face to face with the perfect balance of grace and truth. We don't know much about what happens after that, but we can assume because of what John gives us that then her life is completely changed. Skip ahead with me to verse 28 and 29. So Jesus reveals himself to her. And in verse 28, then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And then jump once more with me to verse 39, the end, almost the end of the chapter. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So what does this mean for us? Here is a woman who a conversation before Had been completely trapped in a life of immorality, trapped in a life of shame, trapped as a social outcast, just completely trapped. There was no way forwards, there was no way backwards for her. All she could do in her own mind was to merely attempt her daily existence walking through her day, making sure that she went to the well at a certain time when there would be nobody there. There would be nobody there to gossip. There would be nobody there to look at her with judgmental eyes. There would be nobody there to mock her, to turn around, to avoid her. And now she has come face to face with the grace and truth of Jesus. She has just met someone who was not a critic, but a friend, someone who did not first condemn, but first welcomed her into a a conversation and now as truth is revealed to her she has now become the first evangelist ever and to the samaritans of all people before any of jesus's own followers could do it here is this woman who has told an entire town that the messiah is here that jesus is the messiah And then, as they come to see Jesus for themselves, they become convinced, and many people are saved. You see, the grace of truth is this. When we bring our outer and inner lives into the grace and truth of Jesus, things become clear. Shame loses its power. Our sin becomes the very thing that provides clarity in our lives, that this cannot do any longer. I need rescuing from this mediocre way of life that I always find myself running towards. Grace and truth are not opposites. Jesus confronts a marginalized woman with compassion and offers her the greatest truth ever. Biblical scholar A.J. Swadoba puts it this way. What stands out is Christ's unwillingness to privilege truth over compassion or compassion over truth. He always weds truth to compassion. Often the tension that we feel as Christians today is thinking that it has to be one or the other. It's either truth or it's compassion. We can't have both. Many times what happens is we idolize compassion, right? Making it this false God and we stay talking about the physical water and never get to the spiritual side of things. We never get to the more difficult conversations, right? Because, well, at least I tried to love them with my actions, right? And this is me confessing to you all as well. Sometimes I idolize grace. Other times we can idolize truth. We begin to worship our righteous deeds, our ideals, our rules over the living and breathing God. The only one who redeems and is worthy of worship. Grace and truth. The grace and truth Of Jesus reminds us that when shame comes face to face with his grace, the power is gone. Just like this woman in the full truth of God's love, we recognize that stagnant well water will do no more. Only Jesus in his grace and truth turns an agonized, look what I've done, to a joy-filled come and see a man who's told me everything I've done. This is the love and truth and grace of God. The grace of Jesus says there is not one who his gospel is not for. There is no amount of brokenness, sexual or not, that Jesus cannot redeem. And then the truth of Jesus says there's no depth that you can run to outweigh His grace. There is no height you can ascend to be without need of His grace. This is the grace and truth of Jesus. And so for us today, as we wrap up this series, as we've looked at so many statements of truth and so many statements of grace that we see from our loving Father, we must be reminded. That day in and day out, we have to start with Jesus' example. That we walk and live reminding ourselves of the grace and truth of who God is to us. That I am a desperate sinner in need of His grace. That I am a desperate sinner in need of the truth to remind me of how much I need His grace. That as I walk hand in hand with him, continually begins to point out the things in me. The truth of the matter, hey, you probably shouldn't run to that well, right? The truth of the matter, hey, you don't need that thing. Trust in me instead. My grace and my truth. Would you pray with me this morning? Jesus, we are so grateful for the story that you have given us in your scripture today. Your perfect grace and truth. And God, right now in this moment, I just want to lift up those who feel like that woman at the well. Feel like if we knew what was going on in their life, we could never love them. God, would you erase that shame? Would you erase it in the name of Jesus? And God, would you reveal with your truth how to heal from them? And God, I pray for the others in this room who maybe we've looked at others differently because of our own righteous deeds. And God, would you remind us of the truth that our righteous deeds are but filthy rags, that we are all in need of your grace, that we would preach your gospel to ourselves day in and day out. Every day we would wake up and say, God, I need you. God, I need your redemption. God, I need your saving grace. And that that is where we would then lead into our other conversations. God, we're grateful for your presence with us today. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Let's sing together.